A few years later, uh, there was musings of uh, opening up the Kedzie operation. I had big ideals. I was still very much a, a home brewer who sometimes worked at a commercial brewery. I said very excitedly to Jim one day, who's got 25 years experience or so in, in commercial brewing with Three Floyds, Goose Island, Firestone Walker. I expectedly asked him, hey, Jim, when we have the big brewery, are, are we going to have a pilot system? And he stopped dead in his tracks and he looked at me. <laughs> Uh, like a father uh, looks at a son who he's going to teach a lesson to, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said with a straight face, he goes, Marty, pilot batches are for pussies. <laughs> yes. Cheers. You've stumbled on into the Tap Takeover podcast. Welcome back to the Tap Takeover Podcast, and boys and girls, we have got a very special episode for you. This week is our supersized part one episode of Revolution Brew. We took a little trip down to Chicago to preview the Deep Wood series coming out of Revolution Brewing, and what a fun trip it was. We got to sit down with Aaron and Marty, uh, two fantastic guys at the brewery. Andy, what, what were some highlights of our, uh, our trip for you? The highlights for me, besides getting to sit down with them for that whole episode... Well, it's just the scale of the operation that Revolution has built, and uh, what is it under just under nine years? It's it's a massive on uh, scale and production facility that's cranking out epically good beers that are clean, crisp, and not to mention scaling up their barrel age series with the Deep Wood line. And Jim, you got to talk some uh, some real technical stuff with Marty, who uh, who knows his stuff. Tell us uh, tell us how that went. Yeah, getting able to talk with Marty, who is just an extremely knowledgeable, highly intelligent brewer. Uh, you know, he's basically running the barrel aging program down there as well as Revolution's QA whole process. He's got a lot on his shoulders and they're really making fantastic barrel aged beers down there at Revolution and a lot of that's all due to Marty. Alright, well let's get into one of those barrel aged beers from last year, from 2017. Here we've got the uh, the Cafe Death, first of all. We're going to get right into the episode. There's going to be some beer news in the middle and then uh, we're going to finish it off with a very special old death from last year again and the double barrel very special old death. Uh, three of the beers that we weren't able to try uh, during our interview, so uh, we thought we'd bring them to you in an outside tasting. So we should mention that uh, we're drinking these beers today at 1840 Brewing. We're actually doing our preparation for a future episode that's going to be our uh, Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit entire line with two guest podcasters, but uh, more on that later. Right now, we're drinking that Cafe Death. Jim, how do you think this one has held up after a year aging it in a can in, the, in my cellar? Well, as often happens with these coffee stouts or just coffee adjunct beers in general the the coffee has dropped off it's there still you get some of the bitterness a little aroma but it's nowhere near as fresh as it was so that's allowed some of the sweetness from the stout coming through and a little bit more of the barrel still a touch hot i wonder if that might be a consequence of aging it in such an airtight container as it can that the hotness that generally oxidizes off may not andy what's your thoughts um, I thought the coffee is barely there anymore for me. Uh, it's, it's pretty much gone at this point. Um, the mouthfeel is still very luxurious with this beer as it was came, coming out fresh. Overall, it's still a very good beer. I just wish 
I would have drank all mine fresh now. This is one experiment. If, if you get it this year, definitely drink it within the first two to three months because that coffee's going to start to fade quick. Yeah, you, you can definitely taste uh, just a hair left of the coffee. I, it, it's definitely in there, but it's not nearly as uh, slappy in the face as it was when we first got this beer. I should also mention we're calling it Cafe Death. It's uh, it's actually Cafe Deeth after the one of the head brewers. Uh, what's what's the joke they say? It's uh, it's Cafe Deeth unless uh, Disney's well, yeah, not unless listening. Disney's uh, listening. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, they're always listening. So yeah, I would say this uh, this is definitely a win. Even a year later, this is still a fantastic beer. But if you're looking for that coffee flavor, it it has fallen off. So uh, you're gonna want to drink this one fresh uh, when you get it this year. I uh, can't wait for that that big release. But uh, I think it's time to uh, to stop talking about the beer and get right into the interview. Get right into the live tasting. Get right into the technical aspects and everything else we're gonna talk about in this uh, first part of a two part series that we have with Revolution Brewing. And before we do make sure you check out our website www.taptakeoverpodcast.com for all the pictures from revolution you'll pretty much get a behind the scenes tour of the entire brewery along with us uh, from our trip down to revolution well without any further ado let's get into it From finding a location and exploring the dream in 2008 to its humble beginnings as a brew pub two years later in early 2010 and steamrolling that momentum into a secondary production location and taproom in 2012, Revolution Brewing has expanded its fight against the status quo. In close to nine short years, Revolution Brewing has had a meteoric rise to be the biggest independent craft brewery in Illinois. Today, in the thick of the Deepwood release season, we're sitting down with Marty Scott, the quality and innovation lead and head of Revolution Barrel Program, and Aaron Kiefner, Retail and Specialty Beer Coordinator. Guys, welcome to the Tap Takeover Podcast. Thanks for having Thank us. Thank you. Thanks for coming. So, yeah. Today, we continue with our brewery interview series, and as always, let's put some voices to the names. I'm your host, Alex. This is Jim. This is Marty. This is Jesus. Andy here. This is Aaron. So, uh, let's get right into uh, kind of the beginnings of the brewery. If you guys can tell us a little bit uh, about how long you guys have been at Revolution. I guess I'll go first. I started as a brewery observer, volunteer, and apprentice at our brew pub uh, starting in April of 2010, so about eight and a half years ago. So pretty much uh, from the beginning, you were, uh, you were part Just of about. Uh, I just missed OG status, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I had uh, a friend who was a co-founder, Michelle Foyk, who now operates uh, Eris here in town, uh, Cidery and Brewery, and uh, I was just finishing up uh, the two-week course at Siebel, the concise course. I hated my job at the time, and I figured, well, I could be broke doing anything, but I didn't have to be unhappy. So uh, somebody said, why don't you go to brewing school? I said, what school? And uh, found out about Siebel, went, and got an opportunity to observe the master, my sensei, uh, my idol, Jim Seaback, our head brewer. I knew absolutely nothing about commercial brewing, but he was uh, kind and patient enough because we listened to the same music, and I just kept showing up on weekends when they were brewing. Yeah, it's it's grown to what it is today, and it's been uh, it's it's been pretty crazy for sure. In the early days, you know, we were just uh, one of just a handful of breweries in Chicago in the Chicagoland area, and this part of the city really didn't have many outlets for craft beer other than maybe Peace and Wicker Park, an- another all-time favorite. Uh, brewery and set of brewers over there. Jonathan Cutler's a, an absolute madman. But we, we opened on a, a pretty much an empty block. It was just a, a convenience store and a diner across the way and one little dive bar. And that was it. The rest of the block was empty. So when we opened, we had uh, pretty much three deep on a Monday, Tuesday nights. 
uh, at the bar, and we were able to sell all of our beer, of course, at retail. We had a fantastic kitchen, still do, and that provided uh, a lot of immediate growth. We had pie-in-the-sky idea of opening a, a bigger brewery maybe in five to ten years someday. You know, Josh, our owner, Josh Deeth, really wanted to have uh, packages of, of his beers, and we really just couldn't do that in the, uh, the brew pub really didn't have space. Business was so good that we actually broke ground on this facility on Kedzie Avenue about a year and a half later. And we were producing beer, I believe, April 2012 at this facility, going from about 1,000 barrels a month to 2,000 barrels a month to 4,000 barrels a month. This year, we're going to do in the neighborhood of about 90,000 barrels of brewing. So, uh, Aaron, uh, I don't think you have OG status either, but uh, tell us when you kind of uh, when you came on and uh, what your experience at uh, Revolution's been like. Yeah, I absolutely do not have OG Revolution <laughs> status, but that's okay. So, the way I actually got into beer was... I uh, worked for a record label called Victory Records here in Chicago for a little over two years. And I started there uh, traveling on the road doing marketing, uh, like road marketing and promotions. And so I would travel around the country following tours of mainly metal bands. And I started going to, I I remember Founders was one of the first kind of like craft breweries. At that time, people still referred to them as microbreweries. And started drinking their beer and realized that there was this whole thing outside of kind of the macro beer and became fascinated with just the styles and and everything that they were doing and kind of grew an obsession from that. I, I left the music industry and decided that because the music industry was kind of so, sort of dying as far as labels and things like that, that I wanted to see what my next career path was. And I was really intrigued by kind of the craft beer movement and that so I started reading a lot it started with tasting beer which is I think one of the first books that everyone kind of gets into I started studying a lot just on beer styles and dabbling in home brewing but ultimately I, I realized that I had a, I've always had a marketing background I toured in bands for 10 years and did all the marketing and promotions for every band that I ever toured the country with I knew that was kind of the aspect I wanted to get into I had a friend uh, Mike Thiel who worked at Goose Island and is now with Virtue Cider who kind of got my foot in the door with Goose Island right after the buyout and in the beginning of 2012 uh, so I started there doing festivals and in samplings and I was like a part-time independent contractor worked that for a while and then moved on to becoming a part of their uh, migration team that traveled to other cities and kind of educated other people on beer then I actually wanted to an opportunity came about to work on the operations side and I was really wanting to get operations experience with the marketing experience so that if the possibility came about someday to be a, a, a GM of sorts or, or something where you would need kind of that operations and marketing side, I would potentially have the experience. So I got a finally full-time job with Goose Island as a wholesale coordinator. Did that with them for a, a little over two years. And then this wonderful opportunity came one day. I was working, did not really at the time have, was not looking for a new position, but somebody came to me one day and said, hey, did you know that Revolution is looking for a retail and specialty beer coordinator? Somebody with operations experience, but also kind of like potentially, hopefully having like somewhat of a pulse on, you know, like innovation and like an interest in seeing what's next. And I looked into the job and it was 
literally my the dream job that I was looking for. So I was just, I was like, you know what? I'm gonna I'm gonna apply for this because my entire time that I was at Goose Island, I Revolution, I went to the brew pub every Wednesday for their releases. My wife and I would go for every beer that was released, and no shit, Fist City was the one beer that I always purchased. I would drink the free Goose Island beer that I would get because it was free, but Fist City was the one beer that I would go out and and gladly purchase because I just thought it was so damn good. So the, the opportunity of, holy shit, I can actually work for this brewery and not have to pay for my Fist City anymore? <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, so I applied for the position, thankfully got it. I've been here since May of 2017. It's been a hell of a ride so far. So we got a bit of a follow-up for you, Marty. Since you're pretty much an OG and you've been here kind of since the beginning, is there any fun stories you can share with our listeners from the beginning days of Revolution? Fun stories. <laughs> yeah, how much time do we have? No one's going to hear this, so feel free to <laughs> say whatever. As much as you want. I mean, no one's listening. <laughs> no one's listening, right? I can remember uh, a couple stories from my very first uh, observation day with uh, Mr. Seaback at the brew pub. It would have been April of 2010. We were brewing, or I should say he was brewing, a uh, an imperial version of our coup d'etat saison, which was called coup de gras. He wanted to put some cardamom in uh, in this beer. Jim is a, he's an old school guy. He loves his Van Halen and his Pilsners. Uh, he's an expert in making other styles. And he, he's all about base beer, base beer, base beer. But he, he turns to me my first day in a brewery and says, Marty, how much cardamom do you think we should put in this? And I'm thinking to myself in a panic, are you fucking kidding me? Who are you asking? Like, I don't even, I've never heard of cardamom. And you want to know how much you're supposed to put in the whirlpool on this thing. Uh, so I, I just, I guess I stammered and just said, well, I, I guess it's, it's better to, to not perceive it than to perceive too much of it. So let's not get heavy handed. And, uh, and that's what we did. And that uh, started a, a long career of me telling Jim Seaback my opinion on things. Uh, <laughs> no, that's, that's not entirely true. I, he says jump and I say how many times. Uh, <laughs> and uh, same brew day, we were using a specialty yeast that we didn't use a whole lot of back then. It had been in the little corny keg for probably longer than we wanted it to. And it had mostly solidified around the stem. And we couldn't get the yeast out of the keg no matter how much pressure we put into it. Jim, a very mild-mannered, polite, intelligent guy, starts cursing and banging on this keg, uh, just banging it on the floor. And he's a big guy, too. He was putting all of his force into it and could not get the yeast out of this thing. Uh, And we had already cooled in the tank, and he was totally flustered. We worked probably two hours on this thing. Finally, we just opened up the uh, corny keg, and we opened up the top of the fermenter and just dumped it in. And he said, Marty, I don't ever want to see you do this. Uh, (laughs) This is... This is not standard operating procedure, right? This is called getting it done brewing, uh, and right now we just have to get it done. Fortunately, there hasn't been a whole lot of get it done brewing over the years. There have been moments, but uh, typically uh, our plans go fairly smoothly. But uh, yeah, and when we a few years later, uh, there was musings of uh, opening up the Kedzie operation. I had big ideals. I was still very much a, a home brewer who sometimes worked at a commercial brewery. I said very excitedly to Jim one day, who's got 25 years experience or so in, in commercial brewing with Three Floyds, Goose Island, Firestone Walker, uh, possibly the best brewery in North America. And uh, I, I expectedly 
asked him, hey, Jim, when we have the big brewery, are, are we going to have a pilot system? And he stopped dead in his tracks, and he looked at me uh, like a father uh, looks at a son who he's going to teach a lesson to, and he put his hand on my shoulder, and he said with a straight face, he goes, Marty, pilot batches are for pussies. Yes. <laughs> And uh, if, if I didn't already have all the confidence in the world for Jim at that point, he became a superhero to me <laughs> that, that very moment. Uh, a lo- lot of other good stories I, I might uh, recall as the conversation moves about. But, uh, yeah, no shortage of, of uh, fun has been had over the last eight and a half years. So I just wanted to wrap up with uh, getting to know you guys a little bit better. I mean, it's pretty obvious you guys love music, obviously. Aaron, you were in the music industry, and Marty, the Lemmy is God and the Misfits logo on you. Uh, what are your favorite bands? I'm actually going to see my favorite band tomorrow at the Aragon. It's a band called Jawbreaker. So I grew up, and I was absolutely in that. Some people would not say OG uh, e- emo phase. I, I, I still call, although Rites of Spring and kind of those like hardcore like emotional bands of the early 90s were the OG emo, in my opinion, bands like Jawbreaker, Sunny Day Real Estate, The Promise Ring are the bands in the, the mid to late 90s that I really grew up on. To, to tell a short story on Jawbreaker, I bought their album Dear You in 1994. I took it home and I actually hated it. I thought it was so terrible that I sold it to Discount Records down the street from my house. And then about six months later, I was at a party and somebody was playing the CD. And I was like, what is this? This is amazing. And they said, Jawbreaker, dear you. I was like, you've got to be kidding me. Fell in love with it at this party all of a sudden. Went back to Discount Records and my copy that I sold to them was still there. And I rebought it back. (laughs) And it is to this day one of my favorite records of all time. Rat. How about you, Marty? What's your favorite band? I don't have a favorite band. Uh, just like I don't have a favorite beer. It's it's all about the uh, the moment uh, and the You're mood. Such a badass. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, what what really made me fall in love with music uh, as a kid was uh, Black Sabbath and super early Pantera, uh, and uh, got into black metal and got into sludge metal and Slayer, Slayer, Slayer. Um, my uncle who took me to all the rock shows he'd come down from Minneapolis to take me to shows in Chicago that my parents had no patience for Uh, he was a huge Van Halen fan introduced me to Van Halen and Van Halen's actually become kind of the culture of revolution we have what we call Van Halen Fridays and ever since the very first Friday that we were brewing here uh, we listened to at least one early Van Halen record because it's it's so celebratory uh, and so silly and playful, but also very technical and unique. So we love listening to Van Halen and joking about Van Halen, and we try to make as many Van Halen references as possible, both in podcasts or Reddit's or beer dinners, stuff like that. Do you end the brew day with? Hot for teacher and class dismissed. <laughs> uh, no, it's usually happy trails. Oh, no, yeah. and we don't typically end the day with Van Halen. Uh, we like to remind everybody, hey, you work in a fucking brewery. Let's have some fun. It's goddamn Friday for Pete's sake. The Van Halen comes on and it comes on loud. And it doesn't matter if you hate Van Halen. And I'm sure there's plenty of people on that production floor <laughs> who are well sick of Van Halen at this point. Uh, but you know it's Friday. And you know that we're at least uh, trying to capture kind of a jovial attitude about you know, working in a brewery. Uh, you know, it's, it's work and it's sometimes cold, it's sometimes hot, it's almost always wet. And when things go wrong, it can be really frustrating. But uh, that Van Halen comes on and damn.
damn it, you know it's Friday. You know, it's, it's time to kind of shake loose the shackles of the stress from the week. Well, it's funny that you say you don't have a, a favorite beer. If you look up on the tap list, there is a beer for everybody. Um, can you tell us about when you first opened up that first lineup, that first year, and how many of those beers are still around? Yeah, the uh, I was I was able to visit the brew pub uh, a few days before they opened in February of 2010, and they had uh, Eugene Porter. The first award we ever won was, I believe, Chicago Magazine Best Beer in Chicago. It was Eugene Porter inspired me that day to run to my homebrew shop back up in the north suburbs uh, when I used to live in Buffalo Grove and brewed a robust porter, a terrible one at that, but uh, brewed. <laughs> well into the night because didn't even think to get brewing until like four in the uh, afternoon we had uh, cross of gold golden ale bottom up wit and the anti-hero ipa uh, and working man mild were all part of the original lineup they might not have all been on tap when the doors first opened i think we only had a handful of beers available and a lot of guest draft uh, the first couple of weeks but once we got up to speed anti-hero eugene gold uh, wit and then we started in on the Repo Man soundtrack. Anybody who's seen the, uh, the back patch on my Rev jacket is the Repo Man uh, movie poster. We did a, a beer for every song on that soundtrack, uh, including Suicidal Tendencies Institutionalized, uh, which was our English barley wine, which we barrel age and become straitjacket. We did a small beer from that, a second runnings beer from that, uh, and that became a little crazy. That's the etymology of that. Repo Man Rised Out, Coup d'etat from the Circle Jerks was our Saison uh, that was year-round for most of our time here. It's now uh, like a one-off seasonal that we do uh, at the Brew Pub. It's one of the first packages we ever had, Bombers of Coup d'etat, Cross of Gold, and Double Fist. Yeah, a lot of those beers are new. Again, we've got like 20 beers on tap now, uh, and we've been doing a lot more new styles to us, uh, just kind of broadening what we do. But yeah, there's still plenty of the OG beers that you can get yeah. in package or draft anytime. I feel like throughout the year, you can see original Revolution beers that are still brewed at the brew pub at least that come on damn near every month, if not every two months for sure there is... An, an original beer that came on because I mean you're you're talking about a bunch of the beers that so my brother lived um, two blocks away from the brew pub and I remember us walking past before it was open opening cursing like every week that it wasn't open that we thought it should be open saying god damn it when is this brewery finally going to open and then my wife and I we just discontinued the Revolution Mug Club for the Rev Rewards program. My wife and I were, uh, apparently, we, th- we thought we were one of the original Mug Club members, and, and it was confirmed by uh, Meg Rutledge, our director of retail op- operations. When she launched the Rev Rewards, she we also launched an employee like card program, like a monthly, you get X amount in beer and food for employees. And she said, hey, we can't have these side by side. So just so you know, we, we have to discontinue your mug club card that was still actually active. <laughs> and I was like, holy crap, that's awesome that my mug club was still in there. And she's like, yeah. She's like, I was actually shocked because you and Angie were mug club members like 20 something. Wow. That's wow. So definitely I, original. I, it's, it's interesting because in this day of Facebook and, and social media and being able to go back in past years and see on the day like what your posts were, it's weird as a Revolution employee, but also awesome as a Revolution employee. <laughs> the number of times that I look back on past years and in 2010, 2011, 2012, 2013, I am po- I'm, I'm posting like, 
oh my gosh, I had this amazing beer today from Revolution, like in 2011, kind of solidified. And now as an employee, I'm like, that is awesome. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what, uh, talking about going uh, going back a ways and, and, and talking about some of the, the favorite beers from back in the day, one thing that we always like to ask anybody that we interview is uh, if, if you could kind of take over the taps at the Tap Takeover podcast and kind of tell the story of your brewery through uh, through the beers that you pick, which which of those beers would you put on tap and uh, kind of how would you tell that story? I guess we could kind of go back and forth if you guys want to pick uh, maybe three apiece and, and throw, uh, throw a special beer on the on, for the final tap for the beer nerds Mass uh, it's, it's tough for me to choose which of my first two is actually going to come first so in no particular order i'll start with eugene porter named for eugene v debs a revolutionary figure in his own right kind of encompassed josh's politics at the time workers rights being a very unsuccessful presidential candidate and uh, i believe prisoner at one point but it's it's just a robust english porter damn it that's so unsexy but it's such a delicious beer and we've made more versions of that beer with coffee with an imperial version with a smaller version with barrel aged versions with barrel aged versions of the imperial versions with fruited versions of the imperial barrel aged versions <laughs> coffee versions, like you name it we've done it to eugene and eugene just holds up every time i'm actually excited to say we we're gonna have a uh, at the November release, a one-off variant that started its life as Eugene, and we'll get into that a little bit later. But yeah, super unsexy beer, and I wish everybody drank the snot out of it, because we love making it, and we love drinking it. That is one of the sexiest beers I've ever tasted. <laughs> it, it, it is it's so I, good. It, it so is good. actually one of the my favorite orders, and I finally got a six-pack of the coffee, Eugene, which is phenomenal. The, the, the coffee notes just add to those robust malt notes that you have so uh that would be one of my picks as well uh apparently this is the tap takeover for jim also (laughs) yes it is (laughs) thank you for that uh aaron which one would you throw on there i i have the unique position of i i work with uh will turner our brewer at the pub and and actually somewhat help determine what pub brews were pub brews we're gonna do so it's kind of like we're always looking for new things and kind of especially in this day and age with the number of breweries that are around we always want to be doing new things because honestly and and i don't necessarily say this is a, a bad thing the beer drinkers these days we all have a bit of add in the fact that we're always looking for what's what's new and fresh within reason i mean i feel like everyone still has those beers that you are going to go to and i think that's why we as a company are going to last for as ever or as long as we want is revolution is now kind of like established itself as like a chicago staple and i can say that even before i worked here like but there to an extent there needs to be always kind of new beers that you're coming up with it by by no to 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 keep with the non-sexy aspect, one of my favorite beers uh, that I had years and years ago that I actually drank at my wedding was uh, Three Floyd's Robert the Bruce. My wife and I are huge Porter Stout Scottish Ale, Scotch Ale fans. Uh, so I went to Will. Will and I talked this summer, and I said, I'd really love to do... We, we've done some Scotch Ales in the past. I'd love to do a Scottish-style ale that just falls in the five to five and a half percent range super lots of caramel like characteristics and things of that nature 
And so we created a beer, or Will created a beer that I, I think came out supremely, like supremely drinkable. It's a four four point nine percent Scottish style ale that just tastes so good. And they were kind enough to name it, let me name it after my family of sorts. Uh, my grandfather on my mother's side was a beer drinker, but was really into our family heritage. And I, I have 75%-ish uh, Scottish heritage in my background. So I wanted to name the beer Clan Campbell after my mom's side of the family. Thankfully enough, Meg and Will and everyone else that kind of helped determine the naming of our beers were fine with that. We came out with this really, really delicious Scottish-style ale that everyone else thinks that I'm that I'm, I'm the number one fan of this beer and I'm totally okay with that. <laughs> Hopefully we do it again. Alright, so I'll tell you what, let's do uh, one more beer piece and then we're going to take a little break and uh, we'll come back with the rest of the tap takeover. Well, I thought I had two beers left, so I'll just mention Antihero. It keeps the lights on. It's the reason we all have careers at this company. <laughs> Thank you everybody for buying Antihero over the years. Uh, but now, now I don't have to mention that beer either, because <laughs> that would be one of mine. So yeah, I mean, if we're telling the story of Revolution, you can't tell the story of Revolution without Antihero. But if, if we were going to personal favorites, uh, I'm going to keep it very unromantic. Uh, Working Man Mild. Over the years, it's been between 3.2 to 3.5% ABV. Beautiful, dark, light beer. Again, very unsexy. Uh, and the Working Man beer. It's an English luncheon beer. You know, it was, the style was created because porters were killing themselves before going back. They'd go to the porter house to, to drink porter at lunch, and then they'd go back to the docks and they'd kill themselves, or they'd not show up, or they'd show up stinking <laughs> drunk. So they had the, the luncheon beer. It was lower ABV. You could still drink a lot of it and you know, survive the rest of your shift when you went back to work. Uh, that was a beer that was on from the very beginning. I hung around for a couple of years before it became too unsexy to continue tying up taps with it but just speaks again to the the ethos the working man the every person's beer no hype you know no bs just traditional styles uh done as faithfully as possible aaron do you have uh, one more beer before we take a little break all right i'm gonna go i'm gonna go to the complete extreme i'm gonna say i'm gonna say d-star nice um as a former goose island employee obviously bourbon county is a supremely sought after and, and world-class beer but even early on in the days i always considered d-star a a contender and on the same level as that beer and knew that although it wasn't made in the same quantities or or even necessarily like thought of in the same realm as Bourbon County in the past. I always knew that that beer was as good, if not better. Somewhat selfishly, I always appreciated that when that beer came out, I was able to scoop up a lot of it (laughs) because I, even to this day, if you come to my place and you look in my cellar, there are shit tons of Deepwood <laughs> bombers from times before I even worked here that I picked up. So that is absolutely one that I think is is the reason that our barrel program is getting to the levels that it's getting to. And although not on the same wavelength as Antihero, which is what keeps us to the extent of what we're doing, but D-Star is the beer that is 
kind of forefronting our barrel program and is going to be that is that bourbon county for revolution that hopefully in the future makes us the one of the top barrel programs in the country i i am super excited that these last two years especially people are finally realizing what that beer is and to you know as a nod to marty and all of our brewers they have just dialed in the brews on our Deepwood series like so amazingly. I don't even know how to explain it really. It's just they're, they're, they've gotten so good at their craft that our barrel program is just top notch and unbelievable. Yeah. Honestly, if you guys aren't part of the, that top tier of barrel aging programs, you guys are headed there with a bullet. I mean, the the, the barrel age series that you guys are doing this year with uh, with nine different variants and, and then some of the one-offs, I mean, you guys are really dialing it in, just like you said. So I think this is a perfect time to uh, to kind of take a little break. We're, we're going to come back, we're going to talk about that barrel age series, that deep wood series that you guys have, and then uh, we're going to ask you guys to uh, kind of agree on one one more tap to put on that tap takeover. Something, uh, some real special yeah, something to kind of keep the beer nerds coming back. All right, uh, so we're going to take a little break for beer news, and we'll be right back. That's right. Welcome to Beer News. Our easily accessible beer this week is Coconut Porter from City Lights Brewing Company. Coconut Porter's bright, pleasing malt character is cradled in a soft, cushiony, and smooth mouthfeel that easily glides down the throat with each swallow. Hints of coffee and chocolate readily move across the tongue as the dark body gives up its aromatic coconut roastedness. It's a perfect beer for the cold months ahead. In beer release news, Black Friday is drawing near once again. As is tradition, the TTP crew will be at Lakefront Brewing super early bottle sharing in line. Stay tuned for a Black Friday preview episode with Russ Klisch a couple days before Turkey Day. If you're going, make sure to stop by and say hi and share a beer. Also on Black Friday, Goose Island releases its annual Bourbon County line. Most craft beer-centric liquor stores will have this on Black Friday with a limited number of variants coming to our market as well. Stay tuned to Facebook and Twitter for liquor stores announcing details. The Brass Tap in Greenfield will will also have 2018 Bourbon County and a couple of variants on tap for Black Friday. On Saturday, November 24th, Eagle Park has a beer release party for booze for breakfast. This huge imperial stout contains bourbon barrel-aged coffee beans Vermont maple syrup and Madagascar vanilla. Also dropping is a booze for breakfast French toast variant containing cinnamon. Make sure to get there early as these two are sure to sell out quick. Revolution Brew Pub head brewer Will Turner has left to take a job as head of brewing operations at Open Outcry Brewing. Open Outcry Brewing prides itself on being a Southside brewery and that was part of the appeal for Turner. He's a Southsider and has been a customer of ours since we opened, Open Outcry owner John Brand has said. Turner will begin brewing at Open Outcry full-time after Fobab, which takes place on November 17th. As someone who has won a lot of awards for Revolution on the north side, this is a big boost for Chicago's Southside craft beer community. All right, so welcome back. I'm enjoying the Clan Campbell here, uh, this low ABV scotch. And Aaron, uh, this is exactly what I've been looking for. A very low ABV, but malt-forward beer. Really cascades over the pal. This is really fantastic. Thank you so much. All right, so as we like to do here, we like to get the beer nerds out of bed in the morning. So, guys, uh, we want one special revolution release that you would tell the story with. Ooh, I guess if I had to pick a beer that was classically sexy and just absolutely stupid, 
that we've already done. My first candidate that I would offer up would be the Double Barrel VSOJ Cherry Rye. <laughs> yeah, that is that is a fuck you beer. I knew I knew you were going with that. Uh, so that's a uh, that's our VSOJ, our two to three year blend of straight jacket, slightly sweeter. Uh, then the standard straight jacket as well, aged in uh, a series of rye and bourbon barrels, started in a blend of our favorite bourbon barrels, including Old Forester honey barrels, as we call them, uh, and Heaven Hill, and then switched to Heaven Hill rye barrels for an additional year of aging. So we actually balance out the sweetness from that beer with oak tannin and alcohol. It's a heavy hitter. I think it's in the neighborhood of 17% ABV. And then we add, uh, we knock that... ABV down a little bit with unfermented tart cherries on the back end. So you've got two rounds of uh, super high quality barrels that this beer is going through. It's got enough residual sweetness to hang on or to hold up to all this uh, extra alcohol and oak. Uh, And then it's just got this gentle kiss of tart cherry. It's unfermented uh, just before we rack it off into kegs. Uh, we we released maybe yeah not maybe definitely five oak barrels of this stuff and that's all that's ever existed and we're still enjoying the snot out of it uh, out of the library I think we, Aaron could probably say more I think we've got just a handful of six barrels of this stuff left yeah it's uh it's super limited so we basically released this a a six barrel at a time for the most part we had two sixels on for our code switch and VSOJ release last month which poured through extremely fast. <laughs> Even the, our, we, we also had uh, 2015 straight jacket, which I thought would hang around a little longer. I wasn't able to come until around 7.30, and even the 2015 straight jacket was long gone. So yeah, I mean, we're, we're sitting on maybe, I, I believe it's single digit kegs at this point uh, of six barrels. So I mean, those are really only gonna be used for our like supreme events to, to, as kind of a, a carrot dangle of sorts. Not not that we necessarily need a carrot dangle at these points, at, at this period to get people out, but, you know, as like a, here you go. Thanks for coming out. Here's here's something bonkers that you're going to shit yourself over. <laughs> when, we, when we first met you at Smells Like a Beer Fest, you were pouring that, weren't you? We were. We and yeah, we made multiple visits back to your booth. <laughs> that was, um, it was a popular booth at that I think that, that beer was still kind of coming to fruition with the beer nerds it was i believe at that festival the third beer that kicked behind um more and possibly jay wakefield which was ex- extremely satisfying but at the same point it should have been the first <laughs> had people known what that beer really was six, six months later it probably would have been yeah i i mean our vsoj release this last month was I knew it was going to be huge, but it exceeded our expectations far, far beyond what I think we e- even were going to do. So, so Aaron, uh, what would your uh, bonkers beer be for us then? I've got to go with our, our our new bonkers beer, which maybe Marty knows where I'm going to go with this. So last month, one of our one-off beers was a another double barrel. It was a double barrel uh, Lynott's 17 Stout. Marty can actually probably talk more in detail about that beer as he had more hands on it than I did but I, I can attest to and he can attest to as well the untapped check-ins and the response behind that beer was similar to what we had on the double barrel VSOJ cherry rye 
shit tons of people saying can this fucking beer in the coming years which i mean that's a that's for us that's that's a two-year project but it, it's definitely something that we are listening to and, and taking into consideration for the future. To start out things and then Marty can take over, that was the, the base beer of what was our uh, J. Monilla. J. Monilla is our beer that we did in collaboration with Jameson. It's a Imperial Oatmeal Stout, similar to D-Star, but with a, a different uh, backbone to it. J. Monilla was uh, nitrogenated had uh, vanilla added to it, but the double barrel Linots does not have nitro or vanilla added to it. It's literally just a, a two-year or a, a two-barrel process, and Marty can talk more in detail about that. Yeah, do we have time for this? this all the time. It's it's uh, yarn it. spinning time on this beer. So Jay Manila, again, as Aaron pointed out, was a collaboration with Jameson. Uh, we aged a uh, unique imperial stout in Jameson barrels, and then we hit it with vanilla and nitrogenate it. But we always brew a little bit more beer than we need. The idea is to run out of barrels, not to run out of beer to go into barrels. So we always brew a little bit more than we need, and we filled some. This particular beer two years ago was a whistle pig 10-year rye barrel we had just one or two of these things uh, sitting around from another project that we were using those for we brewed the j manila to be extra sweet for our tastes because by the time the brew staff was basically told we were doing this collaboration with j manila we were going to do a barrel age thing uh, it was supposed to be released only a few months after the barrels were filled and that's not typically the way we like to do things we like a year or two or three years in the in the barrels so we we were kind of guarding the beer against being hot coming out of these Jameson barrels after only a short time. It certainly didn't come out hot, but we also missed the mark a little bit on the brewing. You know, these things happen. You get one shot at brewing something for the first time, especially with new equipment. At that time, our wet mill was still fairly new. Especially uh, when pilot batches are for pussies. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So this, uh, this beer wound up being a little bit sweeter than I think we wanted to. So we socked it away in some of our prize barrels and then aged it. Uh, that barrel wound up leaking, and it's uh, actually could segue into the, the Sanctuary program. Project Sanctuary is where barrels go rather than dying to recuperate and become productive members of alcoholic society. So this was Sanctuary barrel number eight, I believe. Yep. So our Whistlepig barrel began leaking, and I couldn't patch it. I couldn't tighten the bands, and I really didn't want to lose the beer because I wanted to see what that base beer would do with uh, what we consider to be an appropriate amount of time in barrel. I didn't really have a whole lot of time to get the beer racked off and kegged and carbonated and released and come out with description. I thought it was sweet enough that it could go into another barrel, so I put it into a Heaven Hill bourbon barrel after the Whistlepig barrel, aged it another year. So basically, this big sweet stout uh, is balanced by, just like the VSOJ, a ton of oak character. So it's about oak tannin, giving you a perceived dryness in an otherwise very sweet beer, and also having uh, about 6% alcohol added to that base beer from the double barrel aging. There was no vanilla added to this beer, but it just reeked of vanilla from vanillinin from the yeah. barrels. Like, you know, traditional methods is, is what we try to do as often as possible. And it was just a single barrel. We got three half barrel kegs out of that barrel at the end of it. And we poured through almost all three half barrels uh, over the course of the uh, VSOJ code switch one release, release party. Poured through more of that than I think we did any other beer, frankly. Poured, uh, through, on poured through more of it than I had intended. 
Um, so for our barrel age releases, we usually we allot one to two half barrels, two two half barrels usually because we we're now like at the point that our releases are growing and we we want to make sure that they go well into the night. Before I even knew it, I showed up because I was I I was a part of a uh, wedding rehearsal, so I couldn't be here earlier in the day. I showed up at seven thirty and and got the text message we're sold out and i was like sold out of what sold out of all of our package i went wait what are you fucking kidding me so that was amazing and then i walked in i was talking to people went to the bar and said is the double barrel line not still on yep it's still on got a pour and then thought to myself i should go in the cooler and check how we are (laughs) on why is it still on (laughs) because part of my job is kind of allocating and and overseeing the kegs for releases like this i went to the back and we were on half barrel number three (laughs) and to partially my own fault of hey we're gonna pour through two and then like this third one's in here hold it it was like well and i went to marty we 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 had a great conversation i was like they tapped the third keg and we were both kind of like you know what fuck it like (laughs) the sanctuary project is meant to be enjoyed and like it's here and it's gone we kind of want that the the end result of people consistently throughout the night being like can this fucker can it can it can it holy shit this is unreal and the fact that we didn't add anything to it and that's been a testament since i started at revolution jamo nil is probably the closest thing we've done so far to a quote pastry stout of sorts and that that re- that just has vanilla when when i came here and there was this we we want the i remember one of my first co- conversations with marty of we just want to showcase the barrel and coming from goose island i was like that's awesome is that is that gonna hold up i'm like no bullshit i came from a brewery where the proprietor series does some pretty off the wall shit and so i was like i fucking love this but is it going to stick and last year it stuck and going forward like especially with this beer it's like you can if you put a beer in two barrels and you give it time you can get the same outcome as chalking a bunch of adjunct shit in it you can get a better product than that even that's very true that's been a that's been a huge testament to our project after last year's release i was on board i'm like we can have a barrel program where we're staying true to ourselves and doing beers that are just showcasing the barrel and we can have the best barrel aged beer in the country potentially just based on the, the the product that we're brewing and the barrels that we're using and and the way we're utilizing it which is awesome that's very true every every barrel adds its own kind of character its own flavor to the beer so oh, yeah, you know sure. and that's really where the uh, the blending kind of comes in where the the, the magic and the, the the craft kind of comes in with these barrels we've been talking about this deep wood series and i, I think it's important that uh, our listeners know as, as we always do we do a little live tasting so we're going to uh, start pouring a few of these these beers from the deep wood series and, and kind of give them uh, give them a try we've got a deets tar let's from, do it from last year we've got one from this year we're going to do some of the rest of the series this is 
pretty fun stuff. Let's talk about these two beers. We've got the Deet Star from last year, and we've got the Deet Star from this year. Marty, maybe you can talk to the uh, the formula aspect of it. Uh, did anything change between the two years, or is this uh, pretty much the same base beer going into different beers? Uh, the recipe is going to be pretty much identical. What changes year to year is process. Some years, or some of these changes are aimed at getting less oxygen into the beer while it's aging, while it's being handled. Some of these changes are from learning how to use our new toys, our wet mill, um, other changes to the process, different suppliers for other ingredients we use. It's, it's not really recipe driven, it's typically process driven. And it's how do we maximize extract out of the wet mill? How do we you know, increase our yields? How, how can we not hemorrhage money trying to make these products uh, and still charge a lot less than a lot of our competitors to make these accessible to our fans. And these are all agricultural products. So the raw materials we use change. The barrels themselves are agricultural products. The whiskey that was in them was subject to temperature and pressure changes over, in a lot of cases, many years. So we're really not trying to make the same product over and over and over. There may be things that we like in these beers that uh, we want to try to replicate if possible. But really, when we go through the the metrics of every batch of beer that goes into these barrels, you know, we sample uh, a selection of every batch. We're taking tasting notes and we're seeing what do we like, what don't we like. Fortunately, in the last two years, we haven't really found anything we didn't like. But that's what uh, informs our blending practices. So we, we see what barrels are really shining, what batches are shining. We try to incorporate as much as that into the product as possible. And the goal is to make the best version of that beer we can in a given year, rather than trying to make the same beer over and over and over. Because you're never going to do it. Nobody's going to be able to do that. So we, we blend and we, we treat it like we're making wine. You know, It's a vintage product, we embrace that. We get something a little bit different every year. Whether or not it's better or worse, we leave that up to our consumers. And I'll never take it as an insult when I hear, oh, last year's was better. You know, great, I'm glad you enjoyed last year's. You know, we enjoyed last year's too. So, I, I still brewed it, whether it's last year or this year. <laughs> so what's uh, what's your opinion uh, trying last year's and this year's? And uh, then we can kind of talk about, you know, cellar aging and what that process kind of does. But uh, do you have a favorite between last year's and this year's right now? I do have a, a, a slight favorite. I, I think I, I just, sales and marketing might not like this very much, but I think I do prefer last year's a little bit, but it's totally subjective. The, Son the, of a bitch. The, the, <laughs> some of the stressed... Uh, Edit this out. Some of the uh, the stressed yeast fruity esters are really popping in last year's uh, cans, and it's also been cellared an additional year. You know, there's, there's things going on in last year's beer that aren't happening in this year's yet. You know, it could be some time yet before what I appreciate most about last year's is showing up in this year's. This year we, we did make a slightly conscious, well, a conscious decision to make a very slight change to try to accent the malt just a little bit more. Uh, and I, I think we've done that. Uh, but as far as any other details, I prefer to recuse myself and, uh, and let you all issue your own verdict on the two beers. But how long would you say you normally... I don't want to say recommend, but permit an end user to age their own beer. Like, what's that kind of sweet zone? It's it's actually something that we One ask a, a lot of our our brewers. Uh, you know, as far as cellar aging, a lot of folks say, you know, it's it's ready to go right now. 
we've aged it for you. This is the correct point at which you should drink it. And others say, like you worked for Goose Island, Bourbon County Series, they say, age it as long as you want. You know, it's it's an experiment. Oh. Where, where would you guys say, especially with the, with the fact that it's in a can and there's less oxidation going on, so there's less uh, chance of flavors changing, where, uh, where do you guys fall on the kind of cellaring your beer argument? I, I personally feel like for the beers that we continue to release year after year, D-Star, Cafe, Ryeway, so to speak, uh, Straight Jacket. If you can get those beers year over year, one year. It's like you can save some of those beers to do uh, as we're doing uh, a side-by-side tasting. But I don't really feel like you need to hold on to those beers over a year because you're going to get fresh product. And as, as Marty was talking about, barrel aging is kind of a mystery and it's... There are so many factors. It's like last year's brew, seasonalities. Like there are so many things that play into how the beer turns out. But regardless, you're getting a fresh beer the following year. The previous years could could be to your liking more. The current year could be to your liking more. You, you don't really know, but it's kind of a like just drink the beer and and you know decide for yourself i will say that the the beers that we don't particularly like recreate you know uh cherries and and things that might come every two three years if if you determine that you want to hold on to those cans for over a year that that's your decision it's like and it's it's kind of that's kind of the thing that comes behind as a fellow massive seller of beer myself it's it's your own risk there there are beers that i put in my cellar and they very well could two three years down the line taste terrible they could turn out really bad but that's kind of the i I determine whether i want to take that risk i would never sell her a beer two three four five years open it and have it be bad and then go to the brewery and say i had this beer that was made four years ago and i tasted it recently and it didn't taste good (laughs) i want my money back all right that's not there and and that's kind of why i think breweries have stopped it used to be this thing where it was you can sell this for five years you can sell this for whatever how many and and they've they've stopped doing that because it's like you can sell it for however long you want and it's kind of your decision it's your beer. You purchased it. Determine how long you want to seller it for. If, if you seller it for three years and you taste it and you think it's phenomenal, share it with your friends. Tell them, I cellared this beer for three years and it was absolutely amazing. And if they choose to do so on future batches, awesome. Yeah, because no one goes back to a winery after they've aged their wine for 20 years. And maybe they had a bad cork and goes, hey, your wine sucks ass. Right. You know, give me my money back. Exactly. I was just thinking the same thing. I had heard a story from Jeffers Richardson, one of the two principals at Firestone Barrel Works out in Bealton, California. Uh, everybody out there loves wine. They're in wine country. And, uh, Jeffers is certainly no exception. Uh, he was telling a story at a, uh, a sour beer tasting event uh, last year about a bottle of Bordeaux that he really spent some money on, uh, or maybe it was a really nice bottle that somebody had given him, but they were a very nice, expensive bottle of Bordeaux, and he had just held on to it too long, and he was all stoked uh, to open it up and finally taste this incredible Bordeaux, and it was very acetic. It was vinegar. Uh, 
And it's like, well, we probably should have popped that open a couple years ago then. And that doesn't speak to the initial quality of that wine. We don't, we don't know what these beers are going to taste like a year from now because we haven't been able, we didn't make this year's D-Star last year to know what it's going to taste like. These are vintage products. Uh, they're always going to be changing. If you want to preserve them, which I would recommend you try everything you can to preserve them, age them in your refrigerator, not in your cellar, not in the coolest part of your house or apartment or basement or, or wherever. Um, they don't like temperature changes. They don't like warm temperatures. Just keep it cold. Drink it fresh. For Pete's sake, we're going to make more. Uh, <laughs> save one can if you're that curious, but trust me, you're going to be much happier most of the time drinking these beers when we release them they're already not fresh i'm already aging certain beers at my desk right now at room temperature <laughs> they're probably going to taste terrible but I'm, I'm doing it for qc purposes come on i wouldn't i wouldn't predict that they're going to taste terrible uh, <laughs> no they're, they're still probably going to be delicious let's be honest and but listen Mark, but everyone else is like why do you keep these beers at your desk my excuse is uh, QC purposes. My, my real reason is I've been too lazy to take them home because <laughs> I have other beers that are sitting in my house, the same beers in the fridge. I'm like, I'm going to do a side-by-side. I'm going to get really fucking drunk one night. I'm going <laughs> to drink a can of this that's been in my refrigerator at 35 degrees. I feel, I feel like I'm gonna tonight's the one night. that's been sitting in my desk for the last year <laughs> at room temperature, and I'm going to see how they turn out. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to not write a report, but tell Josh D how they turned out and what we should do for the future. And, and that's and that's why we call it, you know, the beautiful experiment. You know, buy some fresh, drink them fresh, buy buy a couple extra and, and age them. And actually, that's really one of the fun parts of uh, the way that you guys distribute is in that four, four pack. Uh, you know, you can drink one now and then save three as opposed to, uh, to the bombers where you're kind of... You're either going to save it or you're going to drink it. There's really, there's no recorking on those kind of things. So let's get Jim Jesus and Andy. Uh, what do you guys think side by side here? What's, uh, what's some of your favorites? The older, last year's, I'll call it last year's vintage, has a hell of a nose. And I think it's because of the shape of the glass. It's, it's very smooth, very mellow. And I, I really enjoy this beer. The new one, and usually when you have a uh, the current uh, version of a barrel-aged beer, it's really hot. But this one is smooth. It's uh, it's tasty. It's not um, it's not aggressive. And I guess if me aging this one, I would say drink it now. You know, I still think uh, the the one the new one is uh, I think is the better one. I think they're they're relatively the same, except for the hotness has has gone away off of the on the old one. Um, they're both fantastic, terrific beers, and I really enjoy them both. Yeah, I would agree. So, you know, for all our listeners, Marty works his fucking ass off to get these beers to you as good as they can be. So drink them fresh. And what amazes me is how much the bourbon in the barrel speaks on these beers. Like, uh, there's a good beer background. There's a, there's a solid malt background. But for each one, I'm getting so much damn bourbon barrel out of these. It's literally amazing. Yeah, honestly, when I heard uh, bourbon barrel beers in a can, I was taken aback. I was like, that sounds crazy. What are you guys doing? But, you know, Oscar Blues is doing it. Now you guys are doing it. And this beer a year later is uh, something very different than what I had last year. 
it, it's really picked up some fantastic flavors. Some of those flavors have melded into each other. Some of those flavors have kind of come together in a way that I didn't expect. I'm, uh, I'm really enjoying last year's. Marty, I got to agree with you. I think last year's is uh, probably better than this year's. So I think uh, we're going to we're going to pause and uh, come back in a, a separate episode. But uh, before we do, Marty, we wanted to get some of the uh, some of the information about the release series, uh, some of the. Uh, the release schedule. What do you guys have coming up for our listeners uh, as far as this Deep Wood release series? Uh, Just to clarify, are are we talking about the draft variants for the upcoming release? Are we talking about all the canned releases that we already have scheduled? I would think all of the above. Okay. Yeah, give us... So we'll start with the... uh, Let's just go Breaking news. All right, we'll we'll start with the uh, (laughs) uh, review. This is information that's already out there. This is the release schedule for the cans for the remainder of the Deep Wood series uh, for 2018-2019. November 16th and 17th, we are releasing D-Star, Cafe Deeth, and Death by Currents. December 7th, we will be releasing our barrel-aged Scotch Ale, Gravedigger Billy, uh, for the first time in cans. Our rye wine or rye barley wine in uh, called Rye Way to Heaven, uh, as well as, for the very first time, a vanilla variant of the D-Star, Vanilla Deeth. That, again, is the December 7th release. And then January 18th, uh, we'll be releasing a crowd favorite, Straight Jacket, English Barley Wine, aged in bourbon barrels for one year with a little bit of the older stuff blended in. Brand new brand, a play on our Rye Way to Heaven, the rye barley wine called Boss Rye Way. And that is Rye Way to Heaven, aged in Whistlepig, Boss Hog, Armagnac, uh, barrels and Boss Hog is the the cream of the crop for the Whistle Pig uh, Rye Distillery up in Vermont. Their Boss Hog barrels change every year. It's the barrel that they finish the Boss Hog product in. Uh, so last year it was the Armagnac barrels from France. So we filled uh, about a dozen of those barrels with our Rye Way, um, and we'll dose in uh, to taste. You know, they're, they're, those beers are still aging at this point, but we will blend in other Ryeway barrels from other distributors or other uh, distilleries uh, to maximize the complexity and flavors that we want from what we consider to be a very premium product. Um, so that is Boss Ryeway. Look forward to that. For the November 16th and 17th release party, again, that's a D-Star, Cafe Deeth, and Death by Currents, um, we have a couple of small-scale uh, micro-batch, uh, oftentimes just single-barrel draft-only variants. Uh, first that I'll list here of the six I believe we're doing is uh, called La Petite Deeth, which is uh, our Alderaan, which is the base beer for D-Star before barrel aging, aged in second-use cognac barrels. These are the same French oak barrels that we aged our Mineshaft Gap barley wine in last year. Um, so that beer took out most of the spirit and the cognac from the, uh, the lumber, and we just have this beautiful, sophisticated, slightly lower ABV, uh, less spirit character, but still 13% alcohol. Uh, we call in French a small deeth. Uh, so that is, again, La Petite Deeth. That's going to be pretty awesome. We're going to have a, uh, a small batch Woodford Reserve, the Master Distiller series, or whatever that series is called. We have two barrels uh, from that series that we aged some D-Star in. <coughs> Pardon me. Uh, we'll have a brand new, super fresh version of VSOD. Oh, uh, yeah. We, we feel like we... We've increased the quality of VS or of D-Star over the years, especially last year was the biggest single jump in quality we've achieved with all of our new fancy toys. Uh, and we wanted to get a new updated batch of VSOD uh, based on the higher quality beer that we've been able to produce. So that will be the first uh, 
taste of the modern D-Star with two years in barrel. Uh, so that will be VSOD 2018, draft only. Uh, we will be doing Sanctuary Barrel Number 2 as well. Uh, again, Sanctuary is um, this super specialized one barrel at a time program that we're going to be growing and using as a farm system uh, for uh, major releases going forward. This is uh, Sanctuary Number 2 is Double Barrel VSOD 2018. Um, aged its first year in a Woodford double oak barrel, some of my absolute favorite barrels to get a ton of oak character uh, and still get some great uh, bourbon notes. Uh, second barrel for the second year is a Heaven Hill bourbon barrel. Uh, that's going to be clocking in uh, around about 17-18% ABV. I haven't opened the barrel to test it yet. Uh, she's still sleeping, but expect uh, something absolutely bonkers from that. Uh, I think I want to give you a hug right now. <laughs> Uh, to that, if uh, if that winds up being hot, again, we haven't we haven't tasted it. I mean, it's hard not to have a, an 18% beer not be kind of hot. We certainly don't want it to be too hot. So we have some other cool uh, malt-forward beers that have also been aged at least two years in barrels that we can blend in, take the edge off, and do our own little cuvee uh, to make sure that this sanctuary project or product is uh, as high-end as we want it to be. Uh, again, going back to traditional methods, blending, winemaking uh, techniques. It's all about what's in the drink, not the verbiage on the menu. Uh, and then looks like we'll be doing, ah, finally, yeah, another Eugene variant. It's uh, When we first tried to do Death by Cherries, uh, we just added a bunch of cherry juice to Eugene Wort to make a cherry version of it before fermentation and blend that into D-Star to make Death by Cherries. Uh, that experiment failed miserably, but the uh, the beer that we yielded after a little bit of time to mellow out uh, is giving us this American oak explosion, the likes of which Revolution has never released. Um, I would uh, th this beer is called um, Barrel Aged Imperial Cherry Eugene. Uh, it's aged the last year and a half to two years, I think, 20 months in Woodford Double Oak barrels. Um, I would liken it to eating a chocolate covered tart cherry. Uh, a chocolate-covered bourbon-soaked cherry in a wood shop uh, in the best possible way uh, that you can imagine. Uh, if you like American oak and you really like American oak, that's a can't-miss beer. If you're on the fence about how much you like oak, uh, enjoy at your own risk because it is uh, as oaky as anything we've ever produced. I think you should have stopped halfway through because Jim can only get so erect. Yeah. <laughs> Well, we still have December and January uh, one-off beers, and they only get more extreme from here. All right. Awesome. Well, I think this is a perfect time to uh, take a little break. Uh, we're, we'll come back. Uh, our next episode will actually be in a couple of weeks. Uh, but this has been a, a very fun first, uh, first try with you guys. We are having so much fun and having such good beers. Thank you guys for having us out at Revolution. For, uh, for part one here, this is, uh, this is Alex. And this is Jim. This is Marty. Thanks for listening. Jesus. Andy here. Aaron. <laughs> this has been another solid non-fail production. We'll be back. Wow. What a fantastic interview so far. And just think, guys, there's more yet to come. This is absolutely amazing. So let's get back into the final live tasting of this episode. And to wrap up here, so we've got a very special side-by-side. -side. We've got the VSOD and then the double barrel. VSOD here on the TTP. 
Andy, what are your initial thoughts on the uh, VSOD? The VSOD is, honestly, is one of my favorite beers of this year so far. I mean, it came out early, early 2018. It was the last release of the Deepwood series from the 2017 lineup. It's just a fantastic beer. I mean, it shows what the barrel can really do to a Russian Imperial Stout. It's smooth for as high an alcohol content as it is. I think it's clocking in at over 14 or 13 and a half percent. Something there, right, Alex? 13.4 on this bad boy. So for 13.4, it's it's very, very smooth. The year of aging has calmed it down. It's not quite as hot as it was when it first came out. Just a fantastic, fantastic liquid. Alex? And like you said, uh, it wasn't even quite a year of aging, but uh, a fun experiment. Whereas the uh, the Cafe Deeth that we did at the uh, the very beginning of this episode, the coffee had kind of fallen off. There's no adjuncts to fall off on this one. It's just that, uh, that flavor of the barrel, which has settled nicely into the beer. You're getting all the oak, the vanilla, all that beautiful, beautiful flavor from the barrel and it's fallen into a beautiful beer that they put into it so i don't know this is uh this is an absolute win in my book the vsod was uh was one of the highlights of the stout season last year coming uh, towards the end of stout season just fantastic and let's uh, let's compare that right now to the uh the double barrel vsod and this beer, this is the mech daddy. This is the, the final punch in the face to knock you out. This is, uh, this is the big boy, the uh, double barrel VSOD coming in at 17.8%. Uh, Andy, tell us about the barrels that this one was aged in. Well, it's, it's a whole lot of barrel in your face right off the bat with your first sip of this one, Alex. It's the Whistlepig 10-Year Rye Barrels and the Woodford Reserve Double Oaked Bourbon Barrels. It's a blend of those two, and it is just a phenomenal beverage for 17.8%. I mean, the bourbon characteristic and the hotness has settled down, but even fresh, you couldn't tell this was 17.8. You'd think it was more of a 12-13% stout. It's it's sneaky smooth for as high as it is in ABV. And Jim, tell us about the uh, experiment of laying this one down for a little less than a year. Do you think the barrels kind of uh, melded into the beer, or is it uh, it's still coming out a little hot? What do you think? Uh, it, it's calmed down a bit uh, when we had first tried this. Uh, the, it was actually too much barrel for me, to be honest. I mean, it's still a lot of barrel. I think it's starting to get out of balance with the flavors. There's so much oak. I mean, you're you're like chewing on a, a whiskey barrel stave right now <laughs> with this beer. But it definitely has calmed down a bit. It's still a big, big beer, though. I mean, it, it may be a, not as hot, but it's... This is a huge beer. And i got to say, not every experiment uh, when you're aging these beers is successful. I would say this one's pretty successful, as well as the VSOD. The Cafe Death, not so much. Any uh, final thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah, I mean, do the experimental aging. You know, have one fresh, know what you're going to have. And I think at this point, we've tried enough aging of coffee beers. Just drink it fresh. (laughs) (laughs) They get another warehouse and a shit ton more barrels. I I think the Deep Wood program at Revolution can scale right up there with what Goose Island's doing. It's right on par as far as taste and flavor profile and quality of beer. And the fact that they went to uh, nine different variants this year, plus a bunch of one-offs that they're going to have. You know, when Marty told us about the the program on some of these one-offs. And the Sanctuary Series. And the Sanctuary Series. I mean, folks, we are talking about some really special things going on down uh, down at Revolution Brewing in Chicago. So if you have a chance to stop out for any of the releases and 
any of the one-offs, the big parties that they're having, I would recommend you do so. Uh, for us, for the Tap Takeover podcast, uh, we're going to be taking a, a week between these uh, this two-part series. Next week, you're going to hear a preview of the Black Friday coming out, uh, interview with Russ Klish. And then after that, the next week, we'll come back with our second part on this Revolution series. So I uh, look forward to that. And as we talked about, uh, we're here at 1840. You can hear the music and the crowd noise in the background. Uh, it's, a, it's a fun night here at 1840, and we're going to be going through every single variant of the Imperial Smells Like Bean Spirit line, including the original, including the Barrel Age. So uh, stay tuned for that as well. And we're going to have a bloopers episode at the end of the year. Jim, uh, it's <laughs> you may be taken to task uh, again like you were last year. I know I'm going to have some, some bloopers in there. Andy, everybody's got one. That's going to do it for us uh, for now, but uh, stay tuned. Cheers. 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 Yeah.